will be in the book of Daniel in chapter 10. But before we get there, I wanted to give you a little bit of a, of a recap, if you will. Last week was kind of a heavy week. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is, receives this vision of the 70 weeks. He receives a vision after he spends much time in mourning and in prayer. And one of the things I want you to notice about Daniel is that over and over, God speaks to the nation of Israel through Daniel, and he speaks to this Gentile nation of Babylon and then Medo-Persia and then Greece. All of these nations have prophetic words for them through the words of Daniel because he was a man who was keen to hearing the voice of God. And today what we're going to look at is how he became uh, attuned to what God had to say. Um, But before we get there, in chapter 9, they've been given this vision Daniel's been given a vision to communicate about the time when Messiah would come. And if in the nation of Israel especially, there was this desire and there was this hope of Israel that they looked for, and it was this coming king who would become the one to rule and reign over them instead of all these other nations that were ruling and reigning over them. And they were looking forward to this time when this king would come, the Messiah, the Mashiach, the, the Christ, that's what that term means. Christ isn't his last name, but it's actually his title, the Messiah. And he would come and rule and reign over them in righteousness and in perfect judgment. But before that would happen, there was all these other historical events that would take place. So the question in Israel up to the time of Jesus' coming is, when is the Messiah going to come? Well, if they'd read their Bibles in Daniel... Daniel wrote down what God gave him, which was the exact day that Messiah would come into Jerusalem. And that exact day would be from the order to rebuild Jerusalem till the coming Messiah was specifically laid out to the day from the time that the order was given to them as they are now, in Daniel's context, They are in captivity. They're in another land. They're not ruling over themselves. They're actually slaves to the nation of Babylon and then Medo-Persia. And what Daniel says is, from the time of the order given by an unrighteous king, an ungodly king, from the time of the order to go back to rebuild Jerusalem to the time of Messiah would be exactly... From 445 B.C., when the order was given, was in March 14th. And then in April 6th, 32 A.D., Jesus stepped foot onto the triumphal entry. He got on the colt, the foal of a donkey, and came into Jerusalem as a king under the banner of peace, riding on this colt. So as he enters the city, he is fulfilling the prophecy given to Daniel exactly 69 weeks of years. So 69 times 7, you do the math, and that is the exact amount of days from the time given the order to enter Jerusalem to the point where the Messiah would show up. So at exactly 69 weeks, Jesus, the Messiah, is cut off, but not for himself. He is put to death, receiving essentially what looks like no kingdom, like he showed up on the scene and didn't really accomplish anything. But when he came the first time, he came to deal with the sin problem that we have. He came to be the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. He came to be the payment that turns away the wrath of God. So when he shows up 
And he is cut off. He is literally killed on behalf of all mankind. And he is put to death. Uh, at that point, um, all the way until 70 AD, the, the sacrificial system is shut off. And at that point on the prophetic calendar, this 69 to 70 weeks until the second coming of Christ, the time clock is shut down. It's put on pause. There's a timer that God sets for this 70 times 7 weeks, 490 years. But at the point that Messiah is cut off and the sacrificial system is shut down in Jerusalem, I said last week I wasn't quite sure what happened in between the 69th and the 70th week. Well, I did a little bit more reading and had some discussions after church on Sunday. And basically, at the point that the sacrificial system is shut down, God puts a time, he pauses the timer until the sacrificial system starts up again. Now, in the seventh week, the sacrificial system will be started back up again, and then the timer starts again for seven years of the Great Tribulation. So that timer starts back up at the time of one week of years left at the signing of the covenant, the peace deal that Antichrist will make, reinstating or confirming the covenant. It was what Daniel chapter 9 said. The, the Antichrist will come in. He will confirm the covenant, which simply means that he will reinstate the covenant that God already made. He won't make a promise or a covenant himself. He'll actually confirm the covenant that God made with the nation of Israel, which seems good, right? It seems like a very good thing because it's all that they want is to be able to go back in and start making sacrifices again. And they will do anything to get that. As a matter of fact, just being there in the beginning of this year, they have the implements made to where if somebody said, you can go in and make a sacrifice, they would set up a tent on the Temple Mount if that's what had to take place. They would set up all the altar. The, the lampstand is already made out of pure gold. I saw it. I took pictures of it. Now, all of the lavers and the, the, bre- the table for the incense and the bread that's supposed to be in the, in the temple, it's all ready to go. They would set it up, and within an hour, they could be sacrificing animals to the Lord. All within an hour. So if you want to know where we are in the history of the world, I would say we're getting towards the last days because at any moment, someone could come in and make this covenant or reinstate this covenant with the nation of Israel. They could begin making sacrifices, and from that point where that peace deal is made with Antichrist, you can count it down to seven years until Christ returns. And so all of these things, these world events that we see going on today, are all going to culminate in the return of Jesus. And so Daniel has this, and uh, what actually the timeline says in Daniel chapter 9 is that there's one one week of years left. The clock will start back up with the signing of the covenant, reinstating the sacrificial system, and they will rebuild some form of the temple on the Temple Mount. Now, From that point, three and a half years to the day after it, Antichrist will actually come up on the Temple Mount. He will be the one that confirmed the covenant with him. They will have trusted him. He'll come in. He'll defile the temple. He'll stop the sacrifices. He'll violate the covenant that he has made or reconfirm with them. And he'll demand to be worshipped as God himself. He'll set himself up as God on the Temple Mount. 
And at that point, from that day, when it happens, not if, but when it happens, exactly 1,290 days, or three and a half more years, until the second coming of Christ. So he's given them an exact timeline so that when it happens, they'll go, oh my goodness, this is what Daniel said, because this is in their scriptures. Now, the second coming of Christ is not the rapture. Now, I'm a pre-millennialist. I'm a pre-tribulation rapture guy. So I believe what the Bible teaches is that before that seven years starts, we will meet Jesus up in the clouds. He will come back for us. We will not be appointed to wrath. Um, actually, if you want to do a little bit more reading, um, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the, the rapture, uh, a, a taking up 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But we're not going to get into that today. That's for when we go back to uh, Thessalonians. So chapter 9 is basically this overview of a 70 weeks of years, 490-year timeline that God gives Daniel. But then the rest of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 10 through 12, Daniel is given more specific revelation about these 70 weeks and the different periods that make them up. And then in Daniel chapter 10, what we're going to find out today is that Daniel is actually prepared to receive those visions. So how do we prepare to hear from the Lord? That's kind of what we're going to go across today. Well, let's look at Daniel and see how he prepares to hear from the Lord. Did you guys ever, um, I, in, in high school or middle school, I can't remember which, I took a class called Sports Video. And in Sports Video, you learn how to do the, the commentary over sports, which I was horrible at because I know nothing about sports, never played them, probably never will. But I, I knew just enough to sound foolish because anybody who would watch sports would go, wow, that guy literally knows nothing about sports. But in there, I learned something interesting about the old VCR-style recording cameras. You put the tape in, and then you take the camera, and you do something. Before you ever record a video, you would do something called white balancing. Is anybody aware of what that is? Essentially, they would take a white piece of paper, has to be clear white, or not clear, but very pure white, and they would put it before the camera in the lighting, and then it would balance how the camera sees everything after that. You'd pull it away, and then you'd do your recording. I believe chapter 10 of Daniel is just like that for Daniel. Daniel wants to hear from the Lord. He's seeking the Lord. He's fasting. God's giving him these visions, but so he can see things properly God is going to reveal Jesus Christ to Daniel as his white balancing, if you will. He's going to put this pure white image of Jesus Christ himself before the eyes of Daniel so that when Jesus Christ is pulled away and he sees all the visions he's given, he sees them in the proper light with the proper backshadowing and the proper coloring. He wants to see things correctly. And if you want to see anything correctly and properly in your life, First of all, don't drop your Bible. But second of all, when things happen in your life, circumstances, if you want to see circumstances, if you want to see the Word of God properly, you have to first see Jesus Christ properly. You have to have Him as the focal point of your life so that when you go to look at some of these scriptures, you don't see them through man's eyes, but you see them through the eyes, through the lens of Jesus Christ. And so... Back in Daniel chapter 10 is where we're going to be today. Verse 1. 
In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. Remember, he had been renamed by Nebuchadnezzar and called Belteshazzar after Nebuchadnezzar's God. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Verse 2, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. And this is what his signs of mourning were. Verse 3, I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And so Daniel is preparing to hear from the Lord, and he is mourning. Now this does not mean that he's lost a loved one and he's, he's mourning the loss. He's actually mourning, he's grieved, he's affected by the visions he's previously had, he wants to have more understanding, and so he does everything he can to quiet his flesh. Uh, Jesus even taught his disciples that when they fast, uh, fast means to not eat for a certain amount of time or to, to forego the, the things that make your flesh strong so that you can, in fact, quiet your flesh. Uh, we see it all the time. If you're on Facebook, I see people all the time talking about intermittent fasting to, to get their bodies healthier and to purge the poisons from processed foods and all those kind of things. People fast for physical reasons all the time, but the Bible teaches fasting for spiritual reasons. And in this case, Daniel wants to hear from the Lord. He wants to understand things, and so he foregoes eating. He foregoes eating rich foods, and it seems that he foregoes um, anointing himself. Now, we don't anoint ourselves necessarily, but we kind of do. It's to put perfume on or to take a shower or to do something to... It feels good to take a shower. It feels good to get cleaned up. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but I, I get done working and I can't even stand myself. And so to forego that is to say, I'm not going to attend to my physical needs right now. I want to have clear vision to attend to my spiritual needs. And so we can learn from Daniel in that. He wants to hear from the Lord, so he quiets his flesh. He, he literally buffets it. He beats it down so that the, the flesh will stop making so much noise. And if you want to find out how loud your flesh is and how distracting it is to you spiritually, take just four hours and don't eat. Before you know it, your stomach's going to start making all kinds of noise. It's going to start grumbling and growling. And it, at a point, if you decide to fast for a full day, there's going to be a point in which your body is going to tell you, I'm about to die, and you will believe it. I'm telling you. If you've ever fasted, you know what I'm talking about. You just stop eating, and then your body goes, you can't do that. I don't have enough reserves. You know, and we all do, by the way. I mean, come on. Let's be honest. We just, I got done eating so much over the last couple of days that I, you know, I just wanted to sleep, you know. <laughs> And so Daniel wants to hear from the Lord, and so he fasts and says he's mourning. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, verse 4, as I was by the side of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and I looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of upaz. His body was like beryl, not a beryl, but beryl the stone, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, and his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, 
and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. So Daniel's been fasting for three weeks. Is he having some sort of like crazy vision, like I need to eat, and so my, all of a sudden I'm getting hallucinations? You know, you hear people all the time when they have been using drugs for a long time and then they go clean, all of a sudden their mind does crazy stuff trying to get them to go back and use that thing they become dependent upon. But that's not what's going on here. God is giving Daniel a vision. So he's been fasting for three weeks, and on the 24th day, three days after of the first month, I was by the side of the great river. He was in a specific location. He lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold of upaz. Now, I looked up the word upaz, and it's apparently a region that is well known not only for gold, but some of the most precious gold you can find, the most refined. And so he says it was gold, but to his readers, he's saying the gold of Upaz. So they would understand being in that region going, oh, wow. Like it's a name brand, if you will. Like there's certain brands that people said it to you, you'd be like, oh, I know all about that. You know, somebody says Mercedes, you go, wow, that's, that's expensive. That's, that's good stuff. I'll never have that. You know, that's, at least that's what I think when somebody says Mercedes. I'm like, those are awesome cars. I'd like to have one, but I'll never be able to afford an oil change on one, let alone buy the car. But the, my point is, is it, they understood what he was saying. His body was like beryl. Does anybody know what beryl is? Beryl is a, it's a, it's a stone, and you can find it. If you Google beryl, B-E-R-Y-L, you can find this. It's, it, when it's pure, it is see-through. It's completely clear. It's colorless. But when there's impurities... Uh, the impurities show up as really pretty colors inside of it. And so beryl is this precious stone. Uh, Many times you find it with uh, like a little green or a little blue in it. But I believe that he's seeing it purely, and so it's colorless. It's just this stone that's see-through, and it's pure. And and so he says the body, his body is like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm standing outside or we've gone camping in the past, I've seen lightning go across the sky. kind of leaves lines in your eyes after you look at it, kind of like if you stare at the sun. You just have this big brown spots burned in your eye. And so it's so bright. And the idea is that it's fully lit and it's overwhelming the amount of light that's coming from his face. And his eyes are like torches of fire. His arms like burnished bronze in color. Have you ever seen burnished bronze? It's not like just like bronze, like a doorknob, but it's like we use it now for like uh, bathroom sinks. You know, you see these, these bronze colors, that, the faucets and the doorknobs, and it's kind of a, a, kind of a fancy look to it. And the sound of his words were like the voice of a multitude. So his, his voice is overwhelming. But I think it's interesting that he uses this description because as he sees what I believe is Jesus Christ, we get the same description from him that we do the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 1, and we get another vision of Jesus here. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. This is not revelations, but this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the singular revelation. He says, I, John, verse 9, 
both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's been sent to prison for proclaiming Jesus. And while he was there, verse 10 says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha, excuse me, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That means the beginning and the end, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So Jesus is giving a message specifically to John to write in a letter to send to these seven churches. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one, like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes, look at this, like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, burnished bronze, feet like brass. They see similar colors, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth when a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. So one sees lightning, one sees sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. So we see this picture. We see Jesus, and he says, I am he who is alive, I was dead, and I am resurrected, alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. So, Jesus being revealed to John, Jesus being revealed to Daniel, notice that they both see similar things. His countenance was like the sun in its strength. And I was just joking around with somebody last night. Uh, they said something about the sun being in their eyes because they were kind of, we were over at the Woods Coffee Shop. And if you're sitting there right at sunset, the sun comes right in on the guys that are making coffee for you. He goes, man, the sun's bright, you know. And I was joking with him. You ever hear somebody say, man, that sun is hot. You know, and I'm always like, uh-huh. It's extremely hot. You have no idea, you know. But the idea is it's so bright, it's brighter than any bulb. And so we have this vision of Jesus. And think also of the time when uh, Peter, James, and John were asked by Jesus to go up on the mount with him alone. And he gets up there, and all of a sudden, he just lets his glory out. And he's shining brighter. And it says that his, what, what uh, I think it's Mark writes down, is that his, his, uh, his garments were whiter than any launderer could get them. That's how white his clothing was. Now, when he came back down, his clothing was dirty again because he'd been living nowhere. He'd been living like a homeless person. And so he was dirty, but when he was in his glorified state, his robes were white as snow, purity. And so he's given this vision, and like I said earlier, I believe Daniel is getting a vision not only of Jesus, but specifically he's getting a vision of Jesus so that he can have proper perspective when he receives these visions. And so, verse um, 7. 
And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. He's the only one who saw this vision of Jesus. For the men who were with me, apparently he wasn't alone, the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Uh, They didn't see the vision, but they were still overwhelmed by the presence of Jesus. And so they hid themselves. The holiness of God should affect us. God is holy. No doubt Jesus is gracious and good and kind, but he's holy. He's perfect. And I don't know about you guys, but I've never been in the presence of anybody perfect. So I don't know what it's going to be like, but it seems to me Daniel was in the presence of our perfect Savior and when he, did, he was, he saw it, and all those who were with him that did not even see it hid themselves. Therefore, verse 8, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sounds of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face and with my face to the ground. So he has the same response that John does. John in Revelation, after seeing this vision of Christ, is on the ground as if dead. Like he's got no strength left. Have you ever been so exhausted that you just collapse? Have you ever been so worn out you just fall on your bed and just go to sleep? This is, this is how they felt when they saw Jesus Christ. I, I don't, you know, lots of people are like, well, God knows my heart. And so when I see him, I, I think everything's going to be good. And I'm like, these guys knew the Lord. They get a vision of the Lord, and it completely, it literally floors them. It drains all of the blood out of their face. They're exhausted in his presence. And I would submit to you that when Daniel saw the vision, and he was drained of his strength, it, it had nothing to do with all of a sudden he was worn out. I think in the presence of Jesus Christ, we realize all of our frailties and weaknesses. You know, you ever wonder why when, when we see Jesus face to face, it's spoken of in Scripture that he wipes away every tear? You ever wonder why when we, when we see him face to face, all of a sudden it's like we start weeping? I think it's going to be because in his presence, there's fullness of joy, but there's also this holy terror of, wow, I wasted my life. Why I really didn't do what I, I, I thought I should have done. I, I thought I knew what I was supposed to do, and I, I missed most of it. You know? And yet God is gracious. And, and I think that the beauty is, is that when we see him face to face, he wipes away those tears because he knew. He knew it was in our heart, and he knew our flesh was weak. But that doesn't stop us from going, okay, then what am I missing? Uh, what, what can I be doing? What does God, my king, want me to do for his glory? And so as we see this, we see him all of a sudden realize in the presence of our king, I am weak, I am frail, I have no strength. I thought I was something, but in the presence of this king, I'm really nothing. So the presence of the person of Jesus greatly affected Daniel. And in verse 10 and 11, Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood. He he responded to this word. He stood up, 
but he was still trembling. Have you ever been so exhausted that when you were standing somewhere, you were worn out? You guys that do physical labor, I know you know what this is like. At the end of a long day, you just got nothing left, and you're standing up, but you don't want to be. And, and he says, I had stood up, but I was still trembling. His legs were shaking. So, so notice what happens is he falls to the ground as if asleep on his face, and a hand touches him and, and lifts him up and commands him to stand. In the presence of God, Daniel is greatly aware of his own weaknesses and frailness. And when we compare ourselves, here's the deal. Like you, Maybe you guys can relate to this, okay? Uh, we've all felt weak. We've all felt insufficient for something, uh, whether it's something that we would see as significant or not. We all have something where we, we get in the middle of it and go, wow, this is more than, I've bitten off more than I can chew. So what do you do to find strength in the midst of that? Here's what happens to me. Here, I'll confess mine. I start comparing myself to other people to kind of stand up a little bit on my own two feet. I go, well, I'm not as bad as that guy, so I'm, I'm good. Or I didn't, at least I didn't, I'm not like my brother, and they raised their kids this way, so I'm really not doing too bad. And in comparison to other people, it's easy to lift yourself up because there's so many frail people. But here's the deal. We're only fooling ourselves when we do that. We haven't lifted ourselves up at all. We've, instead, we've just pushed other people down to feel like we've been lifted up. We're, we haven't been strengthened. We've just lowered the standard. Eh, this isn't really weak because that's more weak. You know, like, we're still a degree of weak. So where do we find strength in the midst of that? We're in the holiday season. This is not a sprint. This is a slow jog, and it's like 50 miles long. How do you come through it without getting to January 2nd and going, I'm completely beat up and I need to check out for a couple months. How many of us have a couple months to just check out and recharge? I don't. I got to go to work Monday, you know? So where do we find strength? Do we find it in knocking other people down or do we talk to the one who has strength, who encapsulates strength? Do we talk to Jesus? Daniel, we're going to find out, asks Jesus for strength. He says, hey, I'm exhausted, I'm frail, I can't stand on my own. And Jesus goes, I know. And he has the angel touch him and give him strength. That's what we find out. He is the source of strength. That hand touched him in verse 10, spoke to him, O Daniel, look at this, man greatly beloved. Do you know that if you're in Christ, you are greatly beloved? That's not a term you use for like one of your bros, like, hey, I love you, man. This is a term that you use for your wife or your husband if you're married, your significant other, your beloved, the person that you esteem the highest, the highest, the highest. Jesus looks at you like his wife. You are, you are greatly loved. I know for you guys that's creepy, but the idea is he looks at you like his spouse and he, he looks at you and he says, you are greatly loved. And I've, I've joked about this before, but my wife and I both have those moments where we look at each other and go, you know, oh, I love you, I love you. And then I go, you know, it's first thing in the morning, I go in the restroom and I get ready for work or whatever, and I go, wow, she loves this. You know, like, I love you, I love you. And then I look in the mirror and I go, really? Are you sure? Because I'm seeing, are we seeing the same thing? You got the, she probably has her glasses off, which in my case helps a lot. That's probably how we ended up married in the first place. But my, the idea is, is that Jesus looks at us. He doesn't see 
your jacked up mess. He doesn't see your weaknesses. He doesn't see your frailties. He looks upon you and he sees Jesus if you're trusting in him. If you're not, he sees you for all that you are. But if you're covered in Jesus, he looks down and he sees, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. But we have to remain in Christ to be seen that way. And so his strength is restored to him. Verse 12, he says, it says, Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. So he'd been praying for three weeks, 21 days. And it says, From the first day that you set your heart to seek my face and to find understanding, at that point, God dispatched me. And this is an angel speaking. This isn't Jesus. He's given a vision of Jesus. And then there's this hand that stands him up. And then this messenger speaks to Jesus, excuse me, speaks to Daniel. He says, from the first day that you sought to seek me for understanding and humbled yourself, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. So I see from this statement that God hears our words. And that he responds to the call when we ask for his help. But the prince of the kingdom, verse 13, of Persia withstood me for 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me for help. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to you to make understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. And so it says, from the first day that he prayed, 21 days in, the angel shows up, 24 days. But before that, there seemingly is, in prayer, this battle going on to send this message. This messenger is hindered. Much like in the Civil War, many times there would be these dispatchers that would go out to tell all the other groups, hey, here's what's going on, here's your orders. But if they could find one of these messengers, the other side could find your messenger and stop them, then you wouldn't hear what your orders were and you wouldn't act in congruency with the rest of the troops so they could stop you from winning. And so in the same way, there's a heavenly battle going on. And in Ephesians chapter 6, it's spoken of this heavenly battle. Ephesians chapter 6 Verse 10, Paul writes to the Ephesian church and he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Let's talk about strength again. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then he says something interesting, verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That beyond what you and I can see and experience and taste and touch and feel, there is a battle going on in the heavenlies for you and I. And in this case, Daniel is finding out that there's a battle going on for the future circumstances that are going to happen in the nation of Israel. And what this angel tells Daniel is, you were praying for understanding. You were praying for your nation. And while that was going on, I wanted to send a message. God wanted to send a message to you, but I was hindered for three weeks while you were praying. So in the 
cosmic realities that are going on that we can't see, Daniel's prayer affected a battle that was going on that he couldn't see. Daniel praying had something to do with beseeching the Lord on behalf of even this angel and heavenly business going on. And as a result of Daniel's prayer, in some kind of weird way, God sends a messenger. The messenger is hindered. And when the messenger is hindered, Michael the archangel, which we later find out is the archangel that's assigned over the nation of Israel, this angel is sent to basically tag team match whatever demonic forces that this other angel is fighting so that this messenger angel can leave and go talk to Daniel. You guys ever watch wrestling? Sorry, I don't want to unspiritualize everything. But take tag team matches. You know, the dude's worn out. He's fighting, and you tag in. That guy leaves. The other guy comes in and fights on his behest. Except in this case, the guy doesn't just go out and take a breather and get a drink of water. He leaves and goes and does what he was supposed to do in the first place, which is go talk to Daniel. So he's essentially tagged in, tagged out. He goes and talks to Daniel. And what we find out at the end of this message is he's got to go back and join the fight again. So he takes a break from this heavenly battle going on to talk to Daniel. God, God really cares about us. He really cares about telling us what's going on. But what we find out is that we cannot know what's going on in the heavenlies if, unless we seek God's understanding. He wants to reveal to you and I what he has to say and what the future of things are. And so this is all in preparation. This whole passage is all in preparation for Daniel to hear the rest. But he has to see Jesus first. He has to hear this message. He says in verse 14, I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people, the nation of Israel, in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and became speechless. Daniel, a prophet, a mouthpiece of God, is given a message from God and it causes him to not speak. He's called to speak. And yet this message that he receives from the Lord is so overwhelming that he stops speaking because he's overwhelmed. He's, he's caused to be weak again. Verse 16, And suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. And then as a result of that, it seems, he says, I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me. This is what he had to say. My Lord because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me. I've retained no strength. He had already been given strength by the hand touching him, right? Yet he hears more and he's got strength removed from him again. So what is he supposed to do? So he just confesses that I'm weak. Suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips and I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me. I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. He's winded. Verse 18, Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved. Again, the same message of encouragement. Fear not, peace be to you. Be strong, yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, look at this, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Okay, now I'm ready to listen. Got my strength ready again. Then he said, do you know why I've come to you? 
And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. These are these heavenly beings that are somewhat assigned to Greece and Persia. These are demonic beings that are in charge of these. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. And so we're not going to go on to chapter 11 this week, but I want to just take a few minutes, if you'll bear with me, and draw some conclusions from this passage that I think are extremely important and I believe apply to our current circumstances. Are we in a battle? Yes. Does our battle look like the battle that Daniel and his people were in? No. But the principles are the same. Without God's empowering and strengthening, Daniel cannot receive what God has for him. Daniel has a calling on his life. His calling is to be a mouthpiece to God's people and to the Gentile nations. Let alone, but, but without God's empowering, he can't do it. His message to the intended audience cannot go unless he is strengthened by God. Likewise, we, you and I, have a specific calling on our life, whether you know it or not. And God wants to reveal it to you. And guess what? You may want to know it. And he wants to give it to you. And when he does, it won't necessarily be something that we're ready to take. Has anybody ever said to you, you want the good news or the bad news? You know, God has good news for us, and he's got heavy news for us. And sometimes he gives us what he's called us to, and it's too much to take when he tells us. And so we have two options. We can run from the calling and say, it's too much for me, I can't do it. Or we can go, that's too much for me, Lord, and I'm too weak to do it. Can you please strengthen me? That's what Daniel did. He said, this is too much for me. Will you please give me the strength to do it? Because if you don't help me, it's impossible. And so, likewise, we, without God's empowering and strengthening, we cannot receive from God, and let me put it this way, you cannot receive from God what he has for you to bear. You can't bear it alone. Nor will you be able to bring to completion the calling and the, the tasks that he's given you to do. This task could be raising your children. This task could be where you work. This task could be dealing with family in the holidays. We all have that stuff. It could be something I don't even know about. I can't even relate to. But God can. He's given it to you. Don't buck it. Don't, don't try to kick it off. You ever see somebody try to saddle a horse? It, the first time they do it, it's not like, oh, you just throw the saddle on and they're happy. They try to kick that thing off. But that horse is called to bear a burden. And that burden is a human being or it's a load. It's a yoke with a, a trailer on it. But it's called to pull that. And if it won't, the owner will find another horse. God has given you a burden to bear. And it's not something he's given to you because he doesn't like you. He's given it to you because you are the one he made specifically to bear that burden. And if you will be faithful to say, Lord, I can't bear this burden, teach me. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to give you the strength to bear the burden he's called you to bear. Does that make sense? He doesn't call you to do something that you can do on your own. He calls you to do something that you can do with him because he wants that interaction. He wants you to come to him and say, I can't do this. When my daughter, when I tell her to make her bed, and she says, I don't know how, I go, this is how you do it, and I show her how. 
And then when she says, I'm not tall enough, I put her up on the bed so she can do it. God wants that with us. He doesn't want us to go on autopilot. Jesus reveals the Father and his plans to whom he desires to. In Matthew chapter 11, I want you to go there as our last passage. Matthew 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. 11. You ever heard somebody say, um, there's no rest for the weary? I've heard people say that over the last year. There's no, there's no rest for the weary. Yes, there is. Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, it says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And then Jesus said the uh, famous phrase, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus reveals the Father and his plans to whom he desires to. He and his plans can be a lot to swallow at one time. That's why sometimes he gives us piecemeals. We cannot do his will without him. Let me repeat that. We cannot do God's will without him. His yoke is, is a burden. He will give you a burden, but it is one form fit for you specifically, and it is light if you bear it with the strength that he gives. But he must be the source of your strength. He desires that interaction of asking and receiving. Are you going to him for strength? Are you really going to God for strength, or are you going to nap time, which you can never get? You never get enough naps, right? I mean, I never get enough naps. Even if I got one every day, I'd be like, man, I wish I got another nap. Uh, you can't ever get enough just you time watching TV. That won't strengthen you. Many times it'll weaken you if you're watching the wrong stuff. Um, but are you going to the Lord for strength? So, perhaps he hasn't given your thing to you yet. Perhaps he hasn't answered your prayer. Perhaps he has, but you're trying to do it in your own strength. Stop, back up, and do what Daniel did. He stopped, he confessed his need, and then he was receiving strength. And then step forward in his power. So, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the 